Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you. We had our third child at the beginning of this month, so that has been the big life date for us. Very fun. Yeah. His name is Crew, C-R-E-W, and we're having a blast. It's kind of a tie right now on who has cried more, the adults or the kids in our house. Natalie and I are holding our own. People said it'd be hard to keep up with them, two against three, but we've cried just as much. All right. Uh, We've been working through Proverbs, and today we are coming to the topic of work. So let me ask you this. What do you do at your job? What is your job? If you had to describe that to someone, what are the things that you would say? There's a simple fable that goes like this. An observer came upon three people laying bricks. This observer walked up to the first person and asked him, hey, what are you doing? And the guy looked at him confused. He's like, I'm laying bricks. So the observer goes to the second person, same question, hey, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a wall. Then the third person comes up to the, the the observer comes up to the third person and sees this man working with diligence, with enthusiasm, with like this eagerness. Though the work was hard, he was in good spirits. And the observer thought, man, what is, what is different about, how is he going to answer this? So he asked him, sir, what are you doing? Person three looked at him with a huge grin and said, you won't believe the privilege of what I have gotten called to do. I am building the most majestic cathedral the world has ever seen where people from all around the world will come to worship our God. Three people, lame bricks, what's the difference? The difference is person three had a profound understanding of the greater purpose that his work was contributing to. He had a profound understanding, a profound vision for what it meant to lay bricks. I'm not just laying bricks. I'm not just building a wall. I am building a place for people to worship God. He had a purpose behind his work. What do you do at your job? What person do you sound like when you answer that question? I teach math. I lead meetings. I frame walls. I change diapers. What answer do you give? Have you ever thought about your work like person three? Have you ever tried to connect the dots to the deeper uh, vision for what your work is contributing to? Here's the reality. How you view your work determines everything about how you approach it. The purpose behind your work determines the way you approach your work. So the question this morning is, what is the purpose of your job? What's the purpose? What is the greater purpose that your job is connected to that animates everything about how you approach that job? So that's the question we're going to be asking this morning. What is the purpose of your work? And to do that first, I want to zoom way out and just see what does the Bible say is the purpose of work in general. If we're going to understand the specific purpose of your job, we first have to see what the Bible says the purpose of work is in general. And then we're going to see what happens when we fail to embrace that vision for our work in Proverbs. 
What happens when we don't align our purpose behind our work with God's purpose for work? And we'll see that in Proverbs. So what is the purpose of your work? First, what is a biblical view of work? Uh, The question that we're asking here is, what's the purpose of work? There's a bunch of common answers to that question. One common answer is a negative view. The purpose of work is just to get out of it. I just got, it's a means to an end to, to just get to the things that really matter in life. That's one common view. Another common view when you ask that question, what is the purpose of work, would be the consumer view. There goes crew, my son, and my lovely wife. I'm sorry, Natalie, for embarrassing you in front of everyone. Ah, crew cried. I got to get some tears out this afternoon to even things back up. All right, crew, you're on. Another common view, consumer view. The purpose of work is to get as much personal benefit from it as possible, whether that be money or comfort or influence. That's one view of work. Another common view of work is the societal view. The purpose of work is to contribute to society. There's the self-actualization view. The purpose of work is to find personal fulfillment and to express yourself. There's even a Christian subculture view. The purpose of your work is to have a context to evangelize to non-believers and to make money to support Christian ministries. Now here's the reality, with every counterfeit, there are elements of truth in them, but all of those are inadequate and incomplete views of work. So what is the biblical view then of work? Why do we work? Well, to see that we have to go all the way to the beginning to Genesis 1 the very first pages of our Bible. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and then he goes through the days creating various aspects of the creation each day, day one, light, and it continues so on and so forth till we get to day six. And on the sixth day, God created living creatures. And after creating living creatures, he gets to the culmination of his creation and creates humanity. And here's what he says in verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. First, what do we see about humanity? We see that we are created in the image of God which means that you are a reflection of God's glory. In every human, we see a glimpse of God, a glimpse of his character, a glimpse of his majesty and worth. So humans, humans then as image bearers are to reflect the glory of God. In Isaiah 43, 7, God says this, everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. You were created for the glory of God. That is the whole reason why God created humans in the first place. That is what it means to be an image bearer. So then how as image bearers who are supposed to glorify God with our lives, how are we to do that? Well, verse 28 gives us the answer. So Genesis 1:28, they're created in his image and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. How is it that we as image bearers are to glorify God? 
Well, he says, be fruitful and multiply through your procreation. Fill the earth with image bearers. Fill the earth with people who would reflect my glory. But not just filling the earth, but what is the other thing? Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the creatures that crawl on the earth. Rule the created world. We bring God glory, not just by filling the world with people who reflect his glory, but also by ruling the created world, by exercising dominion over it, by cultivating this untapped, the untapped potential of the creation. God continues in Genesis 2.15. It says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. God gives Adam and Eve the command to not only fill the world, but to subdue it, to rule it, to work it. So how do we bring God glory? Not just by filling the world, but also by working. As image bearers, ruling the fish, the birds, and the creatures, subduing the earth and ruling it. You know what this means? It means that work is a part of God's original design for your life. God was, work was a part of God's original design for the world. Work is not a byproduct of a sinful and fallen, broken world. Work was established in the garden before the sinfulness of humanity ever entered the picture. You were created to work, to cultivate the world, to reflect God in the way we work on the earth. Think about how God created. When God created, there was order. There was beauty. There was genius. There was wonder. There was proper functioning. We're to reflect God's pattern of work in our own work. And as we do it, we bring him glory. Why do you think you get antsy at the end of a long vacation? It's because you weren't created to sit on a beach. You were created to work. So what is the purpose of work then? As image bearers, our work is to glorify God. Now that is helpful, but to go even further, we might begin wondering, okay, so how exactly does that happen then in my work? Well, to understand that we begin to see what the New Testament teaches about work. First, I want you to think about what Jesus answered was the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, a Pharisee comes to Jesus and proposes this question. Teacher, what is the greatest command? And here's how Jesus responds in 22:37. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so Jesus responds, the greatest command. First, we could say to glorify God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That is to ascribe worth and, and to ultimate worth to God, which is to glorify him with your life. But then what is the second command? To love your neighbor. Now, how do we fulfill that? Well, there's a thousand ways you could fulfill the command to love your neighbor. But let me ask you this. Have you ever thought of what you do at your job as a way in which you fulfill this command? Martin Luther, the reformer 500 years ago, is the one that really introduced this idea into Christianity. At the time of the Reformation, as he was working to fight for justification by faith alone, he also was working on recapturing the Christian concept of vocation. And he asked this simple question. He says, when you pray the Lord's Prayer 
and you ask God to give you today your daily bread, how does God fulfill that? I doubt any of us have ever prayed that and then opened our eyes and ta-da, Sarah Lee, woo! That'd be awesome if it was. But very, very seldom does God operate that way. How does God fulfill our prayer for daily bread? The ordinary means of work. A farmer planting a seed, a trucker driving that to a grain bin, a grain bin selling it to a mill, a mill working to produce flour, a flour sent to a bakery where it's produced into a loaf of bread, that loaf of bread sent to a grocery store where a uh, stalker puts it on a shelf where you grab it and then a cashier helps you check out. There are thousands of jobs involved in getting a loaf of bread onto your table. A thousand jobs involved in God fulfilling a simple prayer. Martin Luther went on in Psalm 147 to ask this. He says in Psalm 147, 13, when God says that he will strengthen the bars of your city, Martin Luther asked, how does God strengthen the bars of cities? Policemen, just law enforcement, construction workers who work and create sound construction, the ordinary means of work. Here is what Martin Luther then was getting at. In his time in the 1500s, there was a divide. People thought there were spiritual jobs and there were secular jobs. And they looked highly on spiritual jobs saying, man, the way we glorify God through our work is to do the thing that most directly connects to serving God. So you should be a monk or in the clergy or in Christian nonprofits. And then there are secular jobs that have to get done, but we look down on those and those are dishonorable. And what Martin Luther was saying is, no, there is no divide between the secular world and the spiritual world when it comes to glorifying God through your work. All work then is an opportunity to love your neighbor and therefore glorifies God. It doesn't matter if you are preaching a sermon or cleaning a toilet. It doesn't matter if you are feeding the homeless or teaching math. All jobs are an opportunity to love your neighbor and in doing so, glorify God. That is what Martin Luther was saying in the 1500s, recapturing this idea of Christian vocation, that Christian vocation is an opportunity to glorify God by serving our neighbors. So in light of all that, a pastor named Tim Keller summarizes the Bible's answer to what is the purpose of work by saying this. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, he says, the purpose of work is to honor God by loving your neighbor and serving others through your work. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of work, to glorify God and to serve others, not just outside of your work, but through your work which means all of us need to ask, how does my specific job then glorify God and help me to love my neighbor? This is how we're to select our career. We're supposed to ask, okay, what gifts and abilities has God given me? And in light of that, which job is gonna help me to most glorify God and love my neighbor? That is the way in which we are to approach work as Christians. What is the purpose of your job then? I sell insurance. Great. What an opportunity to glorify God and love your neighbor. 
by helping them be prepared for the most catastrophic events that a family would face and so they can face those events with confidence. Have you ever thought of your job that way? Every one of us should identify the purpose God has for our work and how it brings him glory and helps us love our neighbor. So that's the biblical purpose of work. Now, what happens when we fail to embrace that vision? What happens when we don't align with that view of work in our approach to work? Well, Proverbs begins to identify two marks of, of what happens when we are misaligned to God's purpose for our work. So what are these two telltale signs that our vision for our work is inadequate? The two marks are this, complacency and compromise. As you go through Proverbs, these are the indicators that we see in our work if we are failing to embrace God's vision for our work. Complacency and compromise. Complacency, you are lazy in your work. You're passive, you lack diligent, you're not reliable, you don't work hard. Complacency is an indicator that you have not embraced God's vision for your job. Compromise. Compromise is a willingness to, to compromise your character, God's commands, your integrity, honest, honesty, standards for the sake of your job. When compromise at work is present, this is also an indicator that you don't have this biblical vision for your work. So how does Proverbs describe these things? First, complacency. If you've got a Bible, Proverbs 6 is one of the clearest passages we see this. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, this issue of complacency. Here's what the proverb says in Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provision in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. Go to the ant. How does the ant work? The ant works without a leader, without an administrator or ruler, and it prepares its provisions diligently. There's this just relentless hard work that the ant has. It's self-directed, no leader. There's no boss telling this ant what to do. Compare that to the slacker. He stays in bed. A little sleep, a little slumber, just a little rest. But you can't break the chains of sleep. There's a complacency about his work. It's a humbling thought that an ant might have worked harder than you this week. <laughs> That's weird. I could stomp on that thing and it maybe worked harder than me. That's possible. That's what this proverb's saying. An ant maybe worked harder than you. Is that true? This ant is hustling, whereas the slacker is sleeping and resting. Let me ask you this. How often do you go above and beyond at your job? Are you constantly looking to meet the bare minimum standards, the bare minimum requirements of your job? At work, doing just enough to keep your supervisor happy and off your back? Are you more concerned about the perception that you have among your coworkers than the actual excellence of your work? 
when our purpose is to glorify God through our work and to love our neighbor, you will approach work by consistently going above and beyond what is asked of you. Why? Because the excellence that you approach your work with isn't determined on the expectations a human places on you, but the expectations that God places on you as a worker. Colossians 3.22 says this, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly for the Lord, fearing the Lord. Great work is a sign that it matters. When you're lazy at something, that is a sign that that thing doesn't matter that much. But when we see our work glorifies God and loves our neighbor, we will see that our work really does matter, which will produce in us a wholehearted approach to our job. When was the last time that you could say, I wholeheartedly work today? Everything in me I pursued at my job with a wholeheartedly fear of the Lord if you seldom work wholeheartedly at your job, it is a sign, an indicator that you have not embraced God's vision for your work. How else does complacency manifest itself? Well, in Proverbs 14, 23, it says this, there is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. Complacently, complacency looks like talk and no action. You have all the ideas, but none of the execution. You say you will do something, but never follow through. Instead, there is profit in hard work. Complacency can also manifest itself in this way. Proverbs 25, 13. To those who send him, a trustworthy envoy is like the coolness of snow on a harvest day. He refreshes the life of his masters. You are reliable at work. A trustworthy envoy. A complacent worker isn't reliable. They're unwilling to do the work that is necessary to be reliable. You know, being a reliable worker takes effort. I got to take notes, all those sorts of things. Would your supervisor say that you are refreshing? Right? In Proverbs 25, it says that he refreshes the life of his masters. Do your supervisors look forward to their meetings with you? Or are you a pain in their neck? You should be one of your boss's favorite reports. And not in like a weird, like competitive, like favoritism thing, but genuinely like a real delight to lead. That your boss would say, oh my word, what a delight to lead this person who refreshes me in their diligence, in their hard work, in their faithfulness, in their reliability. Your humility, encouragement, hard work, all of it is a delight to those who lead you. Another manifestation of complacency is excuses. Proverbs 26, 13. I love this one. The slacker says, there's a lion in a road, a lion in the public square. I can't work. There's a lion out there. What an excuse. <laughs> and yet some of our excuses to not work are just as insane as that. I can't work. There's a lion in the road. How, how sick do you actually have to be to call in sick? Right? What's your threshold of sickness before you're like, ah, eh, not feeling it today? Is it lying in the road level? The slacker puts up these insane excuses to excuse their lack of productivity. The, the faithful worker is thorough. Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. For wealth is not forever, not even a crown lasts for all time. 
When you know your work glorifies God and loves your neighbor, you pay attention. You're not passive to concerns at your work. You're not indifferent to the problems that are present at your job. Lazy workers ignore problems. Lazy workers are passive about addressing concerns. Another mark of complacency is chasing fantasies, Proverbs 28, 19. The one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Lazy workers are always looking for shortcuts. This really is a failure to see the greater vision of your work because this person is trying to get out of work altogether. What crazy opportunity is gonna enable me to never have to work another day in my life? I'm gonna chase these fantasies. Guys, work is pretty simple. Work your field and you'll have plenty. That's what God is saying. He's like, look, there's tons of these fantasies, tons of these false promises out there, but this is really simple. Work your field, you'll have plenty. You'll have plenty. If you, you know what? Don't obsess about how rich you can get in this life. Instead, just work hard, work your field, and you're gonna have plenty. You're gonna get to retirement just fine if you just work hard. You'll have plenty. Here's the reality. Christians should be some of the hardest workers. We should. Why? Because we have the greatest motivation for our work. The God who created the heavens and the earth has called you to use a significant portion of your life in a vocation for his glory and to love your neighbor. What greater motivation could there be that would fill you with diligence and hard work fleeing from complacency? The second mark indicator that we have not embraced God's vision for our work is compromise. Like I said, compromise is a willingness to to sacrifice your character, to sin, to, to not embrace God's commands, to sacrifice your integrity, honesty, standards, all for the sake of your job. Essentially, you are sinning at work. So how does this, what does this look like? Well, Proverbs 13, 11 says this, wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle, but whoever earns it through labor will multiply it. Fraud. If you're involved in fraudulent activity, you are compromising and not glorifying God. Fraud is using dishonest or illegal methods in order to obtain personal gain. And before you move on to this, seriously search and ask yourself, is there anything at my job currently that is dishonest or illegal that I am ignoring? Seriously, ask yourself that. Is there any dishonest or illegal activity that our job or I personally am using at work for personal gain? That is a compromise. You are compromising your character and integrity for the sake of your job or for the sake of personal gain. The descriptions of compromise continue. Proverbs 23, 4. Don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop. Isn't that an awesome verse? Don't wear yourself out to get rich. You know better. Stop. Don't wear yourself out. 
This is not saying don't work hard. We just saw all the verses that said work hard and hard work will make you tired. It will exhaust you. You will be weary. But here's what he's saying. Don't wear yourself out for the sake of something that doesn't satisfy. Don't neglect God's command to rest in order to achieve at work. When we embrace God's purpose for our work, we will be very, very hard workers but we will also embrace rhythms of rest and recovery. God paused for a day to delight in his finished and completed work. Who are you to do something that God himself didn't do? What job do you have that is so important you can't take a week of vacation this year? What project at work is so important compared to God creating the heavens and earth that you can't pause on a Saturday to spend time with your kids. Now here's the reality. In the new covenant, we are not sub under, the submit or under the Sabbath regulations the same way the Old Testament hearers would have been. And so are there times and seasons in my life where I have to work extremely hard and I might work additional days and work through a weekend? Yeah, there are. And you know what? We don't have to be legalistic about Sabbath. But when that happens, I am adamant to make sure I rest and recover in a way that honors God. We need to take a day off. There should be more days in the year, more weeks in the year where we can point to a 24-hour period where we rested than not. We should do the hard work to prepare to take a week off each year for vacation. Don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop. Proverbs 17, 23, a wicked person secretly takes a bride to, subver to subvert the course of justice. Compromises justice for the sake of a bribe. Proverbs 28, 6, better the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich one who distorts right and wrong. You know what's better? Your integrity over whatever else happens at work. That is so much better than to distort right and wrong. Proverbs 28, 16, a leader who lacks understanding is very oppressive, but one who hates dishonest profit prolongs his life. Here the leader is oppressive. Through the lack of understanding, maybe that comes from arrogance, maybe that comes from pride, maybe that comes from not, not just listening to those he's leading, but whatever the reason he is uh, lacking understanding, it leads to being an oppressive leader. What kind of supervisor are you at work? Are people flourishing under your leadership or would they say you are an oppressive supervisor? Are you leading out of a posture of humility, encouragement, care? Yeah, there's times to challenge and confront those who report to you. But would they say that the environment that you create as a leader is one that encourages the flourishing of those you lead? Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts the Lord is protected. At your work, are you fearful of mankind? Is that who you are most afraid of? Whereas Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you allowing your fear of mankind to move you to a place of compromising God's standards for how you work? Or are you saying, regardless of what mankind does to me, I trust in the Lord who will protect me. I will not compromise my integrity for the sake of this promotion, for the sake of this business deal, for the sake of this opportunity. This is the picture of wise working. 
what it looks like when we embrace God's vision for our work. And the Proverbs culminate then in a story, really a description of a person who embodies all of this. And it's in Proverbs 31. It's the woman of noble character. We won't read through the whole passage, but as you go through the description of the Proverbs 31 woman, you begin to see this woman who is marked by hard work, by a lifestyle of honoring God. It says things like she selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like merchant ships bringing her food from far away. She rises while it's still night, provides food for her households. She evaluates a field and buys it. How awesome is that? She's making land deals. She's waking up before it's even light out. This is a hard woman. And then it culminates in verse 30. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Wise working culminates in this description. This woman of noble character embodies what wise working looks like. To be diligent, to be faithful, to be a woman who fears the Lord. What an amazing description. What is the purpose of your job? How does it need to be impacted by the vision that God has for our work to glorify him and to love our neighbors? Where, what are the indicators that you maybe are misaligned to that vision? Here's the reality. We can hear all of this, look at all these passages, and then tomorrow morning you get to work and you get an email from some guy named Kyle and it just ruins your whole week. And Kyle sends emails that ruin whole week. I don't know a Kyle that sends positive emails. If you know one, forward it to me, please. Work can be so frustrating. Work can be so hard. Why is that? Well, when we go through Genesis 1 and 2, we not only see that God intended us to work, but we also see the frustration of work when it was corrupted. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve rejected God's design for their life, God brought the consequence of sin. And the consequence of sin, he says to the woman, was that child rearing would be painful. And he says to the man that you will eat of the ground by the sweat of your labor. Adam and Eve's sin didn't just corrupt their relationship with God. It didn't just sever their relationship with each other, but it also destroyed their relationship with the created world. And because of that, work is hard. Work is challenging. And because death reigned as a result of Adam's sin, we're told in Ecclesiastes that because of that, all work under the sun is futile. It's futility to labor. So in the midst of that, you're like, oh man, I want to have wise working. I want to work with vision. But it's also hard. And at times it feels like it's not even worth it. The only thing that will redeem your work and sustain you to work with the wisdom that we see in Proverbs, sustain you to work with the vision that we have from God in the scripture, is that if you know that the God who created the world for his glory entered the world and revealed his glory through his son, the son who was the image of the invisible God came and did his father's work by going to the cross, not just to redeem us as sinful people to a relationship with him, but to also redeem the created world. Romans 8, 19 says that creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And now it hopes and longs for the freedom that will come in Christ, that one day it will be free from its bondage to decay. 
And it says that creation itself groans inwardly with the pains of childbirth, longing for the day that it will be redeemed. That hope is the only thing that will sustain you to work as someone compelled by the vision of God for your job and marked by the wisdom we see in Proverbs. If you know that Christ came to redeem your work and to redeem creation so that you would know that your work is not just about you making enough money to fuel Christian ministries. It's not just about giving you uh, time to do the other things that matter the most. No, your work itself is an expression of loving your neighbor and glorifying God. And when you embrace that vision, we will have an impact as a church that so outlasts our lifetime. What is the purpose of your work? Let's pray. God, so often we have a shallow view of our vocations. We have a little view of what we are accomplishing. So often we think like person one who, I'm just laying bricks. I'm just teaching a math class. I'm just changing a diaper. I'm just fixing a car. And yet we fail to realize the bigger picture that that fits into. That we have the opportunity to glorify you in what we do. And not just the things that are obviously spiritual, but in the ways in which we day to day love our neighbors by excelling in the work you've called us to. Lord, help us to embrace a vision for our work, to sense a calling at whatever vocation we have, a calling to use that job to glorify you and to serve others. God, thank you for the work of Christ that redeemed us as individuals back into relationship with you, that redeemed us as the church back into a relationship with its bridegroom and also gives hope to the created world that one day the creation itself that longs for redemption will experience that when you restore the heavens and the earth. And God, I pray that as we realize that, that that would fill our work with purpose. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.